0: Good morning. Well, it's nice to see the auditorium getting fuller. And there are, of course, other folks in the, the temporary auditorium, the fellowship area as well. It's a joy to be back with you. We missed last Sunday. We're, last week, uh, Monday through Thursday, was the School of Church Planting that took place in Sterling Heights, Michigan. I know a number of you knew of that and I think prayed for us, and we greatly appreciate that. Um, it went very well where everyone was pretty exhausted when it was done. It was 8 in the morning till uh, 8.30 in the morning till 8 at night. Uh, and um, it was just, it was brutal. I'm the coordinator, I'm the guy who organizes it, and I can tell you, we killed them. It was brutal. <laughs> but there was so much to pour into the time that it was uh, needful to, to spend that much Uh, Time into it. So I appreciate your prayers. Victoria and I had a wonderful time and also had a chance to reconnect with um, some old friends and then actually build some new friendships as well. Please turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're continuing our our slow series on the book of 1 Peter and by uh, 2035 we will finish it. This morning we're in chapter 1, finishing chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. Give you just a moment to find that. All right, 1 Peter chapter one. begin reading in verse 22, "Having purified your souls by obedience, by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, having done that, here's the command. And this is the, the central, the core command of the entire uh, passage of verses 22 through 25. "Love one another earnestly from a pure heart." Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory, the glory of the fleshly life, all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Many of you remember the name Ernie Harwell. He was the uh, longtime radio announcer for the Detroit Tigers. Baseball fans know that name if you're a Detroit... Let's see, is it Matt who is the major Detroit Tiger fan? Is that you? Okay, yeah. There's always one guy in the crowd who is, you know, whatever. So uh, if you know the Detroit Tigers at all, you know the name Ernie Harwell. One time he was interviewing a rookie who had just been brought up from their Toledo farm team. And this particular player had at one time been a lumberjack who worked in the, red, the redwood forests of California. And so they were chatting about that on the air. And uh, this rookie mentioned that these giant redwood trees have a very shallow root system. They don't go deep into the ground. They spread outward. And so Ernie asked him, how does this work? I mean, How do these huge redwood trees Uh, stay strong and stable uh, with such a shallow root system. His response was this. Those trees are connected to each other by their roots. The roots of one tree reaches out to the other trees, and they form a network of strength. That's a great picture. That's exactly what what Peter is getting at and what God intends uh, for local churches. God intends that local churches... Be filled with believers who love the Lord and love each other. And through that love, uh, keep each other strong. Form a network of strength. God intends that sacrificial love bind believers together. And that when the storms of life take place, when they arise, there is a network of strength. And let me challenge you, we're not going to find a network of strength out there. It's in here. It's here. In local church families and specifically this morning, our church family. This is to be a network of strength. And the roots that go out are our service and love and care for one another. And that root system will keep our church family strong, whatever the the storms that come. We've just faced, and maybe I still are facing storms, and there are more coming. There are more coming because our world is changing. And it's not going to be a world that loves, a world that loves Jesus more. It would be just the opposite. And so there needs to be a network of strength here for each one of us. The governing command, as I've already mentioned, is uh, verse 22. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And everything Peter says in this passage relates to that command. The point of the text is easy to figure out. It's the command, love one another from a pure heart. That's the Challenge for us this morning to love each other, to care for one another, to serve one another, to minister one, edify one another, so that there is here a network of strength. Let me pray, and we'll, we'll dig into the text. We thank you, Father, for your great kindness to us. Thank you for placing us in this church family. And I pray, Father, that as we look at the descriptions and of the command of this text, that will be encouraged. To love one another more, more strongly. That we would be those who would, as the terminology of this text is, to stretch out, to care for each other, to be willing to be inconvenienced for the sake of each other. You have designed this church family, as every good church family, you have designed this church family to, to be a place where there is solace and care We've designed this place to be a haven for each one of us, to be a network of strength in times of challenge and difficulty. We pray that you will use this text in our hearts today. Minister to us, if there are any here, Father, who don't know Christ. Cause them to realize that they need Christ desperately. That that's the first step. And that they also need a network of strength, the local church. Pray your blessing upon this short time, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If that cute little baby is going to keep making those noises, it's okay with me. She is so adorable. Okay, point number one, now that I've been waylaid. Point number one from this text are three main points. First, love for believers is a natural product of salvation. It's just It just flows from knowing Christ. Look at verse 22 uh, again. Uh, having purified your souls, note that phrase, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth. Peter's referring here to the time when his readers trusted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. That time when, when they obeyed the truth of the gospel, and at that point, they were purified. Peter had just considered, remember, look back at verse 18 and following. He had just considered the doctrine of our redemption. Look at verse 18. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with the perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spots. So he's just referenced our salvation, our redemption. And he's picking up on that again. He looks back on those verses and he speaks of obedience to the truth. What's the truth? The gospel that, that redeems, that frees us. Now note two interesting things about what we see in that first phrase of verse 22. First of all, the Greek word translated purified. Having purified your souls. Uh, that, that term is, is, in the, is in the perfect tense. That verb is in the perfect tense. Which stresses really two things. It stresses that something happened in the past and has results into the present time. So it happened, this purification happened at some time and it has results into the future, into the present time. For instance, if I said of my grandson Asa, if I said, he has covered himself with mud, which is a fairly common occurrence, If I said he's covered himself in mud, and I use the perfect tense, what I mean by that is he's covered himself in mud now, and this kid's always going to be covered in mud, which is really not far from the truth either. he covered himself with mud, and now he's in a permanent state of mudness. That's not a word, but I think you get the point. He's in a permanent state of mudness. This kid's covered with mud. He's always going to be covered in mud. That's the idea of the perfect tense. And that's the idea that, that this communicates here. That there was a time when you were not purified. But through obedience to the truths of the gospel, God purified you. He saved you, purified you. And now you are always in that state of being pure in the eyes of God. That's the idea. Now, is Peter saying that we'll never sin? we were purified and we're never going to sin again. That'd be nice. It's not what he's saying as far as this life is concerned. Right? We know from many passages of Scripture, from our own experience that we still struggle with sin. What is he talking about then? Well, he's speaking of, of us being purified because of our relationship with Christ. At the point where you trusted Christ, you obeyed the gospel, you repented and, and trusted Christ. At that point of obedience, you were uh, um, clothed in the purity of Jesus Christ, the, the robes of his purity and righteousness. And you will always be clothed in that purity. That's the idea. The Father will see you in the, the cloak of the holiness and purity and righteousness of Christ from that point on. He will always see you in Christ and in that purity. The second interesting thing that we see in verse 22, and this is important, is how it connects our salvation with a love, of, a love for other Christians. How it connects our redemption, our salvation, with the fact that we love other believers. Notice the word for there in verse 22. Love one another earnestly. I'm sorry, verse 22, uh, the beginning. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Let, let me keep, look right there. Let me just give you a few other ways that you could translate this. The, the, the little Greek word actually speaks of result here. And it doesn't come across as clearly in the ESV as as I wish it would. It speaks of result. The idea is that salvation results in or produces, salvation produces love for the brethren. So look at that verse. Look at the word for. Let me give you a little bit of a retranslation. The NIV renders it. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other. Or let me give you, I think it's a little better rendering. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, which results in you having sincere love for the brothers, for your brothers. So, so your purification—that you, uh, 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 the fact that you stand now in Christ, your salvation, your purification—it results in something. It produces something. It produces a love for other believers. A natural and normal outgrowth of salvation is a love for other Christians the natural tendency produced by the heart of someone who has been redeemed is to love others whom Christ has redeemed salvation changes changes the heart we live in such a such a i'm the center of attention world how much time how many pictures of yourself can you take from how many angles all right, let me move this piece of hair. Now it's a new picture. Uh, how much time can we spend taking pictures of ourselves, focusing on ourselves? See, when God saves, purifies, changes the heart, the focus stops being on us and it starts being on God's people. That's kind of the idea here. There's are results. Folks, genuine love and concern for one another is, is not something we, we should muster up. Now, there, if you're a true believer, there will be a newfound love and concern for, other, for, for true believers and in the church family, for others in the church family. It shouldn't be something that we have to muster up. I really have to work at loving all these people. Now, I'll mention in a second that there is work involved. Um, there is some, some labor involved in loving people. But there should be a natural... If you're a Christian, I'll say it again, there will be a natural desire to love people that Jesus loves, to love people who love Him. And again, with the world around us, folks, we're a small group here, of people who love Christ. If we don't love each other, we have everything in common. The most important thing in life most important thing in life is God and knowing God through Jesus Christ and pleasing God, glorifying God. And if we can't love each other around that purpose, then maybe we need to check whether or not we're true believers. There are certain traits that... Loving one another will produce. Let me just mention some of them. And there are many texts that go with this list, so I'm not going to give you the the text. I certainly can. But just, just to be quick, first of all, if we love one another, we'll be patient with one another. I've struggled my whole life with patience. My wife will tell you my kids will tell you. I struggle with patience. I want it done and I want it done yesterday and I want it done yesterday right now. And I work at that and often don't work at that. We need to be patient with one another. We need to forbear. If we love one another, we will forbear idiosyncrasies and disagreements. I don't like the Detroit Tigers. I still love Matt. Not quite as much as if he loved another team, but I still love him. There are differences. There are idiosyncrasies. There's weirdnesses. You're a little different in this way, and I don't think the way you think. Christians forbear all those crazy things because they're just nothing. There's Christian forgiveness. We, we readily forgive one another. Why do we do that? Because we've been forgiven, according to Jesus, with 70 times 7. We've been forgiven a mountain, a Mount Everest of sins. And so we can forgive the little pebbles that, we, you know, that offend us, that are sinned against us. And are you going to be sinned against out there? Absolutely. Are you going to be sinned against in here? Absolutely. Because we're all still sinners. And what are you going to do when someone sins against you? I mean, actually does. Not, not just kind of blows it and says the wrong thing and doesn't know it. That, that's something you have to forbear. Someone blows it and they don't realize they offended you. You forbear. They didn't know what they were saying. They didn't realize. Okay, what about the person who actually sins against you? They say something. They do something. They intend to hurt you. They gossip about you. Whatever it is. What do you do then? You forgive. Because you've been forgiven a Mount Everest of sin by God. And we can forgive the little pebbles committed against us. And we must, according to the scriptures. If we love each other, we'll try to avoid being a stumbling block to one another. Don't. If someone's going to be pulled into kind of sinful choices by you doing certain things, don't do those things. We need to bear one another's burdens. You see a need there? You try and meet it. If you can't meet it, you pray for that need. I mean, if you can't physically meet it, you pray for that need. And then the next thing, you pray for. We pray for one another. If we love one another, we pray for one another. We encourage one another in our Christian walk. We we, we try to be edifying and uplifting in our speech. We support and serve one another. If we love one another, this is the kind of thing that's occurring in our ministries to one another. According to Peter, a truly redeemed person loves others who have been redeemed. By the way, there are other passages that make this point even more strongly. Let me read to you two passages in in 1 John that make this point really strongly. 1 1 John 2, 9 and 10 says, Whoever says he is in the light, whoever says I'm a Christian, and hates his brother, is still in darkness. Now just let that sink in for a second. Whoever says I love Jesus, I'm a Christian. I'm in the light, but I hate you people. Or I don't love you, don't care about you. No, no, you don't understand Christianity. You don't understand who Jesus is, what, what Jesus has done. You don't understand what God's done for you. You're not really a Christian. You don't get it. You're still in darkness, John would say. He goes on to say whoever loves his brother, whoever loves his brother abides in the light. Uh, chapter 3, 14. This is even stronger. We know that we've passed out of spirit death into life, spiritual death into spiritual life. Now, this is what you would expect. We know we've passed from spiritual death to spiritual life because we love God, because we love His Word, because we have a, a new way of viewing all of life, a new perspective. Because uh, we know we've passed from death unto spiritual life because we. We have absolute confidence in our heavenly home. There's a thousand ways you could have ended that sentence. You know you've passed from spiritual death to spiritual life, that you are now a Christian. You know that you're a Christian by, and here's what he actually says, because we love the brothers. You know you're a Christian, that you've passed from spiritual death to spiritual life because you love Christians. Whoever does not love, he says, whoever does not love abides in death. That's, I, you really can't say it more strongly than that, folks. If the Holy Spirit has given us life, if we truly love our Savior, then we will naturally love those whom Christ loves. Secondly, the second thing he says about love for the brethren is that it should be intense. Intense. Peter wants there to be no misunderstanding about this love among Christian brothers and sisters. So he uses some very vivid terminology now to describe what it looks like. He stacks synonyms, which is a common thing. He stacks synonyms to make it really, really clear. First of all, uh, love for a Christian family must never be faked. Look at verse 22. Notice, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth... For a sincere, which produces a sincere brotherly love. The word sincere there. Unhypocritical is the idea. You know, there are many times in churches when we pass each other in the hall, and sometimes there's a smile on the outside, but disregard and dislike on the inside, right? So there's a mask there. How are you this morning? (laughs) You know, that kind of a thing. That's what he's talking about here. Sincere love. The uh, King James translates it, unfeigned. The Geneva Bible says, without feigning. The term speaks of someone who wears a mask. The idea is that, that our love for one another cannot be faked. Uh, it must be genuine. There's no hidden animosity. There's always pure motives. Uh, there's no human agenda. No secret purpose. It's kind of a what you see is what you get, love. What you see from me... Is, is real. I'm not lying to you. This is not a facade. This is not a mask. I really do care about you. And uh, that doesn't mean, by the way, that doesn't mean that if you're ticked at someone in the church, you, know, you necessarily you, you, you take off the mask and you just give them the face when they walk by. I'm not, you know, what, what really the deal there is, you deal with your own heart before you see them in the hall. Or you deal with your heart and then you pull them aside and say, there's an issue here between us. Right, so I don't recommend a false face. I also don't recommend that face, folks. It's just—it's not enough that we act like we love each other. That's not enough. God's not happy with that. He's not pleased with that. Now, by the way, there are some cases where there are people who it's harder for you to love than others. There's some people in the church family that you're just more drawn to. Personality, background, whatever, the similar ages, whatever it is. You're drawn to them, and it's easy to love this person or this couple. And there are others in the church that I don't have a lot I mean I don't have a lot in common. Well, yes, of course you do, Christ. But other than that, we don't have a lot in common or or I just I don't click with that person. That's going to happen. There still should be a natural love for that person, but okay, so work on it. Develop it. Let me encourage you to, to, to ask the Lord to help you love that person. Pray for that person. If you've got someone who you don't click with and that's inevitable, walk up to them. And I don't mean this in a, a, a passing in the hallway. How's it going? Any prayer requests? Yeah, good morning. I don't mean that. I, I mean, take some time. Hey, let's chat for a minute. How are you doing? And How can I pray for you? How are your parents? How's your family? Do uh, you have any struggles you want to share? Now, I'll, I will be praying for them. Start doing that. And, and, of course, not just the people that you don't click with, but everyone in the church. That should be what we're doing for one another. Our care should, be, uh, should involve that. But certainly, if you're struggling with someone, you just don't click, that's a way to, to address that. And you'll find that your heart will change if you really are praying for them and, and and sincere in your desire to, to be a blessing to them. Secondly, love for a Christian family should be must be intense. Notice the word earnestly in the command: love one another earnestly from a pure heart. This is a really strong, really uh, a graphic term, a vibrant term. It speaks of a strong, deep felt love. It literally means to stretch out. For something or after something. And so the idea is that your love for other Christians is that which causes you to stretch. This is an inconvenient thing. I don't know how many of us would say, this is really fun. (laughs) No, this stretching, the idea, of course, this is inconvenient love. Loving someone when I got other stuff to do. I got my own lawn to mow, folks. I got my own checkbook to balance. Thankfully, my wife does that, and if she didn't, we'd be in in jail probably by now, Uh, i got other things to do with my life. Our lawn needs, we got moles. Anyone know how to fix moles in the lawn? You come and find me, because these moles are taking over. You can be walking, and suddenly your foot just drops through a hole. It's not cool. We all have stuff to do, and we work. So you want me to help you move, which means I schedule, you know, a month and a half of chiropractic afterward, you want me to do what? Uh, this word means that. You help them move. If you at all can, you reschedule your life, you get yourself a, a back brace, you schedule the chiropractor you know, beforehand, and you go and you help. That's, that's what this, this word is. Inconvenient love for the brethren. Do we love each other? Is this love a love without hypocrisy? Is it love that's not passive? This isn't a passive love. In the hallway, how's it going? I I love you. That's not what this is. Thirdly, love for believers is only possible if your salvation experience is founded upon God's word. Verses 23 through 25. Verse 22 states that we are purified by obeying the truth and then expounds the idea that redemption and purification will produce love for Christian brothers. Now that you're saved, you'll have this natural inclination toward that. In verse 23, Peter now shifts back. Let's just read uh, 23 and following. Since you've been born again. So he's reaching back now to the topic of salvation that he brought up in 18 through 21. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, For because all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. So, he's shifting back to the topic of our salvation, and then stresses once again that God's truth is the tool that God uses to birth us into his family. He said that earlier. He's saying it now again. He highlights the inestimable value of the word of God. In fact, this little section is a sermon uh, in and of itself. It won't be. We'll deal with it now. But it, it deserves more time than I'm giving it. He veers from the topic of man's redemption to the topic of the scriptures because he wants to make it clear that the scriptures are necessary for salvation. It is his word that God uses to save people. So, first, God's word is indeed the tool he uses to bring about the new birth. Twice in this section, Peter reminds his readers that God's word is the tool he uses. Verse 22, he states that we are purified by our obedience to the truth. Verse 23, he states that we're born again through the living and abiding word of God. Now, we may wonder... Why is he saying this? Why is he reminding them of this? Don't they know this? That salvation comes through an understanding of the truths in the word of God about Jesus Christ. About our own depravity, about our own need, and about what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Don't they know that it's through the living and abiding word of God that this message comes? Don't they get that? Absolutely they do. But they're prone to forget, just like we are prone to forget. So he brings it up again. So much of the biblical text is basically, remember this, remember this, remember this. You you know this. Remember it, though. Paul often just says that. Remember, remember, remember. You know, in our world, and I'll just say our evangelical world, this truth is being forgotten. That the Word of God is the tool that God uses to save sinners. There There are many corners of evangelicalism where things like drama, Plays, productions, music, concerts. That's the main thing we put up. The the eggs of our evangelism we put in those baskets. And our worship services are filled with those kinds of things. You know, um, the Apostle Paul and the Apostles, they could have used drama. Do you know this? They could have used drama and concerts in their day. They had these huge amphitheaters. At the major cities all had these huge amphitheaters. So if drama and music and these kinds of productions, if those—or or bring in Christian athletes to speak, Christian celebrities, all the kinds of things we see becoming, or having become already pretty common, these are all things that the apostles could have done. The mechanisms were there in the early church. But what did they do instead? Preach the word, preach the word, preach the word, preach the word. That's what they did. Because there's something about the word itself and there's something about the eyeball to eyeball in the preaching that God uses to open people's hearts and save them. And it hasn't changed. So he, he's reminding them, we need to be reminded as well. And let me encourage you, keep this in your, in your mind. When you see, when you're encouraged by other Christians, you guys, you all should do this in your church. We now have these big concerts and these big... Plays and dramas, and it's really cool. You guys should do that 1st Baptist and Marshall. Talk to your pastor, you're going to hear that kind of thing. Remember, it's the preaching of the word, the communication of the word that the Spirit uses to open blind eyes. Turn to 1st Corinthians 14. 1st Corinthians 14. This is a wonderful text that has been forgotten. 14 verses 24 and 25. He's talking about tongues and prophecy. And he says in verse 23 that tongues are not going to be received by unsaved people. In fact, I'll just read that. Verse 23. If therefore the whole church comes together... This is 1 Corinthians 14, 23. If the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, the whole congregation, this is just part of what's happening in the worship service now. The whole church comes together and all speak in tongues. And outsiders or unbelievers enter. So an unsaved person walks in the doors. Will they not say that you are out of your minds? I don't know what's going on, but this is craziness. So he's he's addressing the difference between tongues and how God uses it and the communication of the word of God, prophecy, and how God uses it. So keep reading verse 24. But, so tongues, but instead of that, if all prophesy, meaning the communication of the word of God. okay, And notice it's all. It's not, if the pastor does this, it's all. So the idea is that the entire worship service An unbeliever walks in, he sits down, and all that he hears, the singing, the praying, the preaching, all that that he hears is a communication of the Word of God. If all prophesy, an unbeliever or outsider enters, he's convicted. Whoa, 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 this is what we want, isn't it? He's convicted by all, by all that he sees, all that he hears, he's convicted by all. He's called to account by all that he sees and all that he hears. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. God is really in this place. So I want you to understand the power of the proclamation of the Word of God. This is why this service, our church service, We don't chase after every fad, and there's a new one every week. We don't chase, what do we chase after? The preaching, the proclamation of the Word of God, because that's what God uses in churches, in preaching, in services, and in our daily lives as well. Going back to 1 Peter now, very quickly, I need to make some hay. Secondly, God's Word is indestructible. Notice he mentions it's imperishable. Uh, In verse 22, it's indestructible. It cannot be corrupted. It's not subject to decay. Men have attempted to destroy God's word for centuries, but to no avail. A.D. 33, the the Roman emperor, uh, A.D. 303, the emperor Diocletian issued an edict ordering all Christians to stop worshiping and to destroy all their Bibles. 25 years later, Constantine comes along, reverses all of that, and says, print 50 Bibles uh, at, the emperor, at the empire's expense. Voltaire, the, the noted French infidel who died in 1778, said that within 100 years of his death, Christianity and the Bible will be swept out of existence 50 years later, not 100, but 50 years later, what's going on? Christians are using his personal printing press and and printing Bibles from his home. People have tried to Sweep the Bible out of existence, and they're going to keep doing that. That's not going to slow down. But it's imperishable, indestructible. It's also enlivening. It says in verse 23, speaks of it as the, the living and abiding word, the living word. It's powerful, life giving, it's abiding. He means here that it's always capable of meeting man's needs. You don't have to make the Bible relevant. We have to make it work. We have to manipulate people. We have to make the Bible relevant. So let's add these things to it. You will never have to do that. God knows what my soul needs. God knows what the souls of unbelievers need. And the Word of God is what the Spirit uses to meet the needs of the human soul. The Word of God's... Always relevant. It's never outdated. Never passe. Always timely. Always practical. Always need meeting. There's another trend that I see, even in our circles, folks, and that is running to the experts. Let's run to the experts. Let's run to Dr. Phil. I don't know if any of you watch Dr. Phil. I'm not meaning to offend anyone. Uh, Just forbear. Forbear my ignorance. Sigmund Freud, Carl Rogers, Dr. Phil. Let's run to these guys for the answers. Or just modern psychiatry, psychology. Medical doctors, politicians, celebrities, they have the answers. Have you looked at the, you examined the lives of the people that other people are following? Their lives are a mess. How many times have you been divorced? How many affairs have you had? How many children do you have of how many people? These people are a mess. And, but they're the experts. And even Christians sometimes follow them. 1 Corinthians 1, Paul says that man has no genuine wisdom. Let's not follow the experts. Let's follow the scriptures, folks. Very quickly now, verses 24 and 25. You have this illustration from Isaiah 40, verses 6 and 8. Peter illustrates the fact that God's word is always relevant and of enduring value by quoting this portion of Isaiah. In this quotation, he points out that God's word is more enduring than those things the natural man finds most valuable. So look at the text. All flesh. So what are the most valuable things to us? All flesh is like grass. Flesh meaning my my body, my health, my earthly fleshly life. That's valuable to me. And then look at and all its glory. What's, What's all its glory? The glory of the flesh. So all its glory refers to all those things. That, that, that we uh, pride ourselves in. It refers to things like wealth and rank and talent and beauty and learning and achievement. So notice, all flesh, all my, my earthly stuff and my earthly life and all the glories of my life, all those things, the flesh is like grass. My body is like grass. And all the glories of my earthly fleshly life are like the flower of the grass. And then he gives us the deal. He tells us what's really going on. Hey, folks, the grass withers. Your earthly body is going to die. It's going to wither. I I hate to see it happen to myself, but it's happening right now as I stand here. Our bodies are getting weaker and weaker by the day. And the flower, all the glory, all the things we run after, it's like the flower. And the flower falls. Petals just drop off, and it all dies. But in contrast to all that, the word of God remains forever. So folks, let me encourage you to love one another. Let me just read you a number of passages very quickly. Uh, um, it's not that this is the only biblical text, that New Testament text that speaks of us loving one another in the church family. John chapter 13, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Second time he says it. By this all people will know that you're my disciples. This is how people will know that you are followers of me. That you. Third time he says it now, that you love, if you love one another. This is how people will know you're Christians and are following Christ, if you love those who Jesus loves and who love him. Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Galatians 5. Through love, serve one another. 1 Thessalonians 3. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another. 1 Thessalonians 4. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write you. For you yourselves have been taught by God. No one else has to say anything to you because you've been taught by God to love one another. 1 Peter 4, keep loving one another earnestly. 1 John 3, this is the message that you've heard from the beginning that you should love one another. And I've got a full list here. It goes on and on. Folks, if we're going to stand strong in a sinful world, and again, Peter's book is written to Christians who are in trial and suffering for their stand for Christ. And if we're going to follow the Lord, our future will be more suffering, more trial for the sake of Christ. If we're going to stand strong in that kind of a world, there must be a network of strength, and that will come if we love one another. Let's examine our, our lives. How do I feel about these people? Do I love them? Who do I need to pray for more because I don't really love them or care much for them. Who do I need to pray for more? Am I stretching myself for our family? Am I ministering to others? Thank you, Father, for this text. We pray that you use it in our hearts. It's a wonderful text, wonderful truth. Help us not to just drive home and forget what we've heard today from your word. Make us people who love each other. We should naturally do so, but we know we have to work at this by your grace and kindness. Help us to love one another and build here a network of strength so when the trials come and the storms of life come, we can support each other and hold each other up. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.